Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast as part of the Women in Manufacturing series of podcasts. I am Andrea Olson, and I am here with my co-host, Desiree Grace, and we are continuing our series on bad bosses, and there's so many different kinds. So, Desiree, how are you doing today? Ready to talk bad bosses? I am. How are you, Andrea? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So we've got quite a list, I tell you. I'm looking through our notes, and and we've got so many different personas that it feels almost unnerving to know that we've worked with all of these at some point or another. (laughs) No kidding. Well, between the two of us, we've got some robust work experience, and hopefully our listeners are getting some tips and tricks out of this. And we're trying to kind of chunk them by type. So we're looking at the weak bosses in this session. And the one that we first talked about when we were talking about the the frustrations of bosses that are lacking in intestinal fortitude, shall we say, you've got indecisive Ike. This Mm -hmm. is the classic paralysis analysis. And this is the archetypal boss who doesn't make decisions. So He'll either avoid making a decision altogether, which as you and I both know, is making a decision. It's making a decision not to do anything mm-hmm. or not to deal with the problem. But what's been your experience dealing with this type? You know, it almost feels like you live in a perpetual stall, like in that stall yeah. mode, right? You're in neutral. And I think it always really stems out of fear, right? Fear of acceptance, fear of making the right choice for their boss oftentimes. So, you know, the risk tolerance is just incredibly low and they're of the personality that truly they are the ones that maybe grew up in an environment where it was a command and control situation and that's what they know. And now they're in a manager role or leadership role and are still functioning in that old methodology, right? So they just can't break out of becoming a leader or making decisions, they are used to being, you know, the Indian and they always had a chief telling them what to do. Absolutely. And this type just hates to make a decision because they're petrified of making a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And they will actually avoid making a decision at all costs, which that can be phenomenally frustrating to work for. It is, especially if there are certain things that you have to go through them, that things that you can't go on your own and make a unilateral decision that you actually have to get their approval. Yes. And boy, if it's a case where you've got indecisive Ike delegating and you make the decision and you own the successes or the failures of your decision, That's one thing. Mm -hmm. And most strong people can live with that. But in a lot of cases, how do you manage up when you've got someone that refuses to make a decision? You know, and and it's tricky. I think what it becomes is making it a safe thing for them or perceived as a safe thing. I think that you have to look at things in just very incremental steps, right? And even if to you, a change is insignificant. Like, hey, we should not be using this platform to 
share files, we should move over to this one because it's free and it saves money and it's, I don't know, you know, 100% secure, et cetera, et cetera, right? Whatever the item may be, even something that small might seem incredibly large to them. So it's oh, yes. taking things in just the smallest baby step type of approaches. And I think it's frustrating because the pace of work is going to be excruciatingly slow, even for people who like to kind of cruise, I think. But on the other hand, you will get somewhere. And then the second part I would suggest is that if you can kind of triangulate things in a sense on their behalf. So for example, if you do have a relationship with their boss, to not so much disparage them, but float the idea to that boss. And that boss says, yeah, that, that sounds good. Talk to Susie, you know, talk to Ike about it. And you go back and you say, hey, Ike, you know, listen, we should do this. And they go, I don't know. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, I overheard so-and-so talking about this might be a good thing and what they're looking to do. So it's like trying to give them the validation that they're going to seek anyway, because they do not want to get on the end of that diving board. Right. And I have even found with that type of personality, you almost need to lay out for them the risks of indecision. Mm. Hey, here's how much it's going to cost us if we don't make a decision. Or here's the negative impact on you and our department if we don't make a decision. Right. And I hate to say it in the final analysis, sometimes you just need to flat out say, look, if this doesn't work out, Here's what we can do to course correct. Yeah. Or you could propose a beta or a trial. Sure. Or quite frankly, the other thing you could do is you could, and you have to be willing to do this and you have to be passionate and committed, but you can also say, hey, I will take responsibility if this decision is a negative. Yeah. And that's actually, I think, probably a really good approach because usually Indecisive Ike doesn't really know about the subject. Right. So part of it is a lack of knowledge of what is being proposed, even if you explain it. Right. It's they've never done it. It's unfamiliar because they're not a, cha a person of change. Right. So I think that if you take it on, probably knowing the details of what it requires to execute, then you're in a really good situation. I would agree with that. And these are not necessarily bad people in general. They want to be liked. so. You can, to some degree, work that to your advantage. And if you have the personality for it and you're willing to do it, you can be willing to be the heavy mm -hmm. and be the decision maker on the team. I would just say, make sure you document that you followed the chain of command and make sure that if you take on that role, that you do your homework and your due diligence. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to do the homework, and you're willing to keep copious notes and document, you could end up being a trusted lieutenant of indecisive eye. Oh, for so, you know, and, and he's kind of the kissing cousin of steady Eddie. Mm. You know, we had a conversation before we started recording about this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. That personality type that hates change, hates risk, just does not want to do anything different. I think there's corollaries there where same deal. You've got to sell them on the cost of not changing. What are your thoughts on that? You know, that's an excellent question. And it, it does refer to, you know, our conversation here just a few minutes back. It 
sometimes I, I personally believe that, you know, even though we, we think that we are logical human beings and that given in the face of clear and justifiable data, that we will make a correct and logical decision. And I think the problem is like with the steady eddy, for example, that's not the case. It's not the case. In my opinion, it's those that don't want to do anything different. It's hard to make that argument because if you're showing that what they're doing now isn't working, it's subtly insinuating that they're wrong, right? You've been doing this for 10 yes. years and you're wrong. What does that do? How does that reflect on your own personal identity, right? That you think I've been doing this for 10 years and it's wrong. And maybe you go, you know, but it wasn't wrong five years ago. It wasn't wrong eight years ago. And then it goes back to, but if it wasn't wrong a few years ago, then why is it wrong now? Is it really wrong? No, this is a blip. This is a, you know, a short-term change. It'll all go back. And it, then it becomes this justification exercise. So though I believe data is important and providing you know, the information about hard truths, I think it's kind of the opposite approach. I think that's almost a negative, combative approach with Steady Eddie. I would agree. I think that brings up a really good point. And they may be the type that needs incremental change, mm -hmm. where you're willing to move slowly and potentially do a beta to get buy-in as to, oh, no, no, this really is going to work, but let's test it out first and make sure. Right, right. So, But I've also been in eddies in organizations, and you tell me your experience too, where even if like the CEO comes down and says, you know what, we really do need to change this, you know, either I want your ideas or here's what I'd like to see, you know, some general guidance. I have seen steady eddies come back and justify and, ber and not berate, but just beat down the fact that what is being done was so thoroughly architected, right? All this time was invested that we cannot change this. And oftentimes can wear down a CEO, especially if they're one that really wants to have employee involvement and engagement, right? And they struggle with trying to get these steady eddies to change. And so the organization tends to then just work around them, right? So there's change around them, but their area stays the same, their scope of responsibility, and it becomes this bottleneck in the organization, right? Everything's super fast and smooth until it gets to eddy, and then that gets stuck, or it's a paper-laden process, or whatever the case is. And then once it comes out of Eddie, it speeds back up again. But that is a huge risk to the organization. And do you think that, is it the leader's responsibility to just lay the hammer down? Or is it something where, how do you get that mindset to change from an emotional perspective, kind of that id ego side of things? You know, I think the thing with Steady Eddie is they like things just the way they are. Right. And the leadership can either identify that and have those crucial conversations or potentially coach Eddie either towards change or coach him out of the organization. Right. But if you're working for Steady Eddie, they don't want to do anything different. And that's their MO. Mm -hmm. So 
help managing them, it is similar to Indecisive Ike where you need to sell them on the cost of not changing mm -hmm. and or you need to move them along very slowly, very incrementally and almost make tweaks rather than significant change. Right. And this guy, unlike Indecisive Ike, who really wants to be liked and doesn't want to make bad decisions, mm -hmm. Steady Eddie, to some degree, being a cousin of Ike, this is the one that's going to literally dig in their heels and put up roadblocks for change. Oh, yeah. To your point earlier about, you know, telling the CEO why they shouldn't change and wearing them down, this guy can be potentially extremely stubborn. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, if it's a little bit more of a sneaky individual, they could undermine attempts at change to make it look like a bad move and a bad decision. Oh, yeah. I've seen that quite a few times. And it's regrettable because unless you are, you know, part of that team, right? If Eddie's your boss, you see it. And then it becomes this, your word against theirs. It becomes a very difficult conversation to have if you see that occurring. Absolutely. So in that instance, I think you really need to proceed slowly. Unlike Indecisive Ike, where you can almost be the de facto decision maker on the team for him, with Steady Eddie, you need to be prepared for incremental change and to move slowly. You know, I agree. And I also would couple that with the fact that Eddie has his identity wrapped up in the control of the consistent, right? Yes. He I would validates agree. himself or herself with the fact that, look, because nothing's changed, I have control. I am doing what I'm supposed to do because there have been no disruptions or ripples or any change at all. And so that their identity, their validation of their performance is tied to it. So when we talk about change with them, I think that, you know, it has to be not about them. It has to be about somebody else, right? And this ties to another persona we're going to get to, but I think it's also bringing in the, well, this is what the customer wants, right? And how do you shift it? It's yes. not about them and their process, but it's, you know, it's so, this is what somebody else wants. And I know they don't understand that, you know, we have to do a 27-step process, but it's frustrating for the customer to wait three weeks for a quote. So what could we do to, to speed that up? And you have to bring small, to your point, simple, digestible ways to simplify that challenge. But it can't be about them. I don't think it can be about, I don't want to say attacking them because you're not intentionally, but... How do you deflect that change to somebody else? I would agree. And it might be a case of either getting other departments involved, respectfully, quietly, discreetly, right? pushing for the change. It might be the boss also pushing for change. Mm -hmm. This one, I almost think you need to proceed a little even more carefully, but I, I do fall back on document, document, document. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's what we do, that, that we're eager to make, I don't want to say a name for ourselves, but as, as females, we're looking to say, hey, listen, I want to make significant change in my organization. I'm looking to do things. 
And then what happens is we try to push this change. We don't think about making a paper trail. And then you can have other personas pick up those ideas, take them. I mean, I'm not saying be paranoid. I'm just saying be thorough. I completely agree. And, you know, both of these archetypes may look pretty benign, but don't be fooled by that and make sure you basically CYA mm -hmm. with documentation, paperwork, saving emails, whatever may be appropriate, covering it over in meetings with all the impacted stakeholders and gaining agreement. You need to proceed with caution, even though they seem quite benign, they're not right. because they are the enemy of change. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh God, they are. And you know, the other more benign, at least on first blush, is insecure Ida. Mm. You know, we're kind of talking about all the passive aggressive bad bosses <laughs> on this yeah. particular podcast, but you've got insecure Ida too. She has no self-esteem and that is the one that not only does she often not want to make a decision, she needs constant oh. reinforcement and affirmation yeah. that she's wonderful and she's doing a good job. And boy, if you're not the personality type like Eddie Haskell, oh, and there's an old pop culture <laughs> reference for those of us that are Gen X and older, I'll just encourage our listeners that are younger to either go look at Nick at Night or look up Leave It to Beaver and go. Google Eddie Haskell. Yeah. But if you're not that type that's a brown noser, basically, mm -hmm. these kinds of bosses can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. And you may end up feeling really inauthentic, disingenuous, like a big fat phony when you're managing them. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the ways around that is, you know, to thank them. And when they do make a decision, acknowledge that, wow, that was a good decision, boss. Mm -hmm. The team is excited about what this is going to allow us to do in terms of cost savings, customer retention, you know, whatever may be relevant. Right. I think you can still be sincere and maintain your self-respect with Insecure Ida, while at the same time, giving her that reinforcement that she so desperately craves. You know, and I, and I try to look at it, it, it's very hard to do, especially if you've got a big team and you don't really have time to get to know a lot of people, because some of these bosses might be indirect bosses, right? So you've got those. Groups. Yes. Yeah. But with Insecure Ida, you know, I try to look at it as, okay, this stems from something that's gone way, way back. And this is something where if you think about everyone you work with, they are people. And maybe they had a background where they didn't get a lot of validation. And it's always been this constant seeking of approval. And this has gone on for decades, right? And so yeah. it is, it is stems out of fear and it stems out of the fact that they don't feel like they have self-worth. And I think that, you know, you can become almost a counselor slash coach in a way to try to help them move along that continuum. Because I think insecure Ida you have the ability to change that, generally speaking, right? I think it's possible, but it takes a lot of fortitude and persistence to do so. 
it's that they need quick wins for validation, right? So they need to be put in situations where it's a guaranteed win. It's a safe thing. I don't want to say there's no ramifications, but it's like, if they were going to learn how to ride a bike, you're not doing it in public. You're doing it at home by yourself, you know, and working on it until they're ready and then bringing them to the park to ride the bicycle, right? So you have to make these safe spaces where they can kind of practice and learn. And then all these little wins in public spaces will start building that self-esteem back. Yeah, you almost have to be a shrink trying to build the confidence of insecure right. Ida. And, you know, if that's your boss, whether direct or indirect, you really don't have much choice other than to figure out how to provide positive reinforcement to this personality right. type. And, you know, I would make the argument, even if it feels phenomenally phony, that is a skill we all need to develop mm. to provide the sincere compliments and to make people feel good. That is part of internal selling. That is part of external selling. That is also part of, quite frankly, building your coalition at work. So if you struggle with this, you can convince yourself internally that you're building a muscle you're going to need as you climb the ladder. Yeah, and of that's, your a, career. that's a great point. It is a skill you need, and it doesn't have to be insincere, right? I mean, if you really don't like the person, that's one thing. But I think you have to have some self reflection of are you frustrated just because you're worn down with insecure Ida, but you actually do care about them growing and being a better person? And if you can help them along that journey, that is a very nice and selfless thing to do. So it doesn't have to be about superficial, and... you're awesome. Oh my God, you're amazing, right? Because, you know, insecure Ida might be able to read between the lines with that and become even more insecure if she doubts your sincerity. Absolutely. And there could be more to the story. You know, she could be a relative of the right. CEO. You don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe she didn't want the job, but somebody said you right. have to take it. We don't know the rest of the story. And we have to remind ourselves that we don't know the rest of the story. But here's the other bonus to this. If you can demonstrate that you can coach your boss, the rest of the organization is going to see that. And they're going to say, hey, this Andrea is one smart cookie. She has been able to do wonders with Insecure Ida. Imagine what she could do with our customer right. service team. I think she is a high potential employee based upon the way I've seen her manage right. Ida. So, you know, people in organizations really do see these other personality mm -hmm. types and don't kid yourself that they aren't aware for the most part of Ida's insecurities. But there are reasons she's in that role. And if you can demonstrate that you can work with her successfully, that is going to help you out in the long run. Whether you stay at the organization or move to a different one, you are definitely going to be learning some skills and positioning yourself for success oh, for down sure. the road. And you know, the downstream effect um, of that is you might get other colleagues or even 
other bosses in other departments that will come to you and say, can you help me personally? You know, people will see things to your point, but might not vocalize them, right? You think about all these personas and it's everybody knows, but it's just not being actively talked about. And I think the difference is that when someone takes action, carries a lot more weight than if people just simply reflect and complain. And so you, as a coach for Insecure Ida, will truly get miles. You're not going to see it immediately. It's not the next day thing. You coach her and then tomorrow I'm going to get a gold star. It's something where you're building your own brand in the organization. And this is, Ida can be an opportunity versus something that you feel like is holding you back. Absolutely. And part of the reality of work life is that there are a variety of personality types and demonstrating that you know how to work with them is going to help you advance if that's what you want. And if you don't want to advance, it's still going to make you a respected colleague who knows how to deal with mm -hmm. the tough stuff. I think the last boss we were going to cover today is Absentee Al. Have you ever had that boss that doesn't return emails, doesn't return phone calls, is never around, and part of you wonders, what the heck are they really doing? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I have. And, you know, on one hand, at first, it's really frustrating, right? Because it's like they are too busy for their team, their department. What they're doing happens to be you know, 10 times more important when really part of their job is to lead their team. Part of their job is to, you know, respond to needs that their team has and help provide guidance. But I also see that on the other side of the coin, absentee Al can be a blessing. If you like to self-direct your work, if you have ideas and things you want to do, you can take advantage of Absentee Al and just kind of do and trial initiatives that you feel are important. And you can become the pseudo leader of the team because Al's not around. So it's an opportunity to be a manager uh, without the title, but keep in mind, you need to keep Al in the loop. Absolutely. And that's what I was just going to say, because you run the risk if you totally go rogue, making a decision that Absentee Al right. doesn't agree with. And I think we've all had those situations where you think absentee Al is letting you manage yourself. And oh, then yeah. Out of left field. Why, why did you do this? What bites, is this? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So it bites you in the behind. So a couple of things you can do to handle absentee Al. To your point, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. You keep him in the loop. If he doesn't read your emails, that's one thing, but you're at least sending Right. If he comes emails. back and he's like, why did you do this? It's like, I had three emails and I gave you this timeline. And then we started down that because I hadn't heard from you. I mean, so nice. I assumed it was okay. And, and you know, I have even gone so far as to say, hey, I know you're super busy, Al, but if I don't hear from you by Friday, the team and I are going to proceed with our recommended right. course right. of action as outlined mm -hmm. in the attachment, blah, blah, blah. All right. So what do you do if you've got absentee Al and you're new to the organization and you're still trying to feel your way around and Al is not giving you any guidance, any direction, any coaching, hmm. any introductions? That's what I think you need to be humble enough. And you also need to look around at your colleagues and say, OK, who is always respected in these meetings? Who does the boss respect hmm. and lean on? 
you know, who starts and ends the batting order of presentations to the big boss? And then identify, okay, who amongst my colleagues could be my informal coach mm-hmm. or mentor? Because absentee L is not helping onboard me in any way, shape, form right. whatsoever. So maybe you say, hey, you know, Jeff is always mentioned as a leader, as a go-to, as a senior experienced person. So maybe Jeff becomes the person you informally run things by and say, hey, Jeff, I was thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. Are there any pitfalls to this approach Mm -hmm. that you could tell me about? And Jeff might say, well, you always need to run this by finance. So, you know, you can manage and work around absentee Al by utilizing your colleagues. Now, understand, Jeff's probably going to need a favor from you down the road. So be prepared for some sort of internal quid Mm -hmm. pro quo. But you can find mentors among your colleagues if absentee Al is either off on his boat with his girlfriend or off meeting with high-level customers or off doing whatever it is he's off doing. And none of that is really your concern. All you need to do is do your job well and keep him in the loop. Whether he reads his emails or not, you have an obligation to your supervisor Mm -hmm. to at least try to let them know what you're working on. Right, right. And I had that back in the day where my boss was somewhat of an absentee owl. And as mm-hmm. I was running kind of a sub-department underneath his jurisdiction, but he didn't understand what that department needed to do. It was kind of something that they just needed a place to plop it, and they put it under his umbrella. So he was primarily sales. So he was constantly traveling, right? And he was dealing with field sales folks. He was visiting customers, and that's totally fine. But he was not there for any guidance or direction, which really wasn't a concern for me. I felt like I was more experienced and knowledgeable in the space I was working in because he had no background. I was Mm -hmm. heading up marketing and digital strategy and organizational communications. And that wasn't his bailiwick, right? He was just a sales guy and very good at it. But I would also approach it the same way where I would send an email this is what's happening. This is what we're going to do. We're going to move forward on this. We need to start now, et cetera, right? And there were times where he would get back from, you know, a 45-day excursion of, you know, seeing customers and field visits and say, hey, so, you know, how are things going? What are we doing? I said, well, here's the update. And it would be, wait a second. I didn't say you could do that. And it would be, well, I communicated this. And then be like, well, I was too busy. I was checking my, I didn't check my email. And now you're going down a path I don't want you to go. And so that was oftentimes a constant battle in a way, because otherwise as a department, if we always needed his approval, we would never move forward. And it actually came down to the fact that, and this was just an interesting situation where absentee Al wanted to look like to the CEO that he had control of everything he was given. And so when maybe the CEO would come to me since absentee I wasn't there and say, Hey, what are you working on? I would tell him. Right. So then when my boss, Al 
was asked about it from the CEO, he wasn't prepared. So this was, now I can't make Al prepared. I could send him a letter. I can put everything in a spreadsheet. I can do everything I possibly can. I can call, I can do that. But if I can't get that communication, there's almost literally nothing I could do. On the other hand, I can't throw Al under the bus because if I we're not doing no. anything because Al's never here and I need Al's approval, that's a tricky situation too. So it was just a unique absentee Al case. Maybe it's not, maybe everyone else has this too, where it was kind of the, the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, but you know, that's the thing about absentee Al. If he's absentee because he's actually out working, that's one thing. If he's absentee because he's moonlighting or on a boat right. with his girlfriend or oh, doing whatever it is he's doing. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not mm-hmm. making this up, obviously. Anyway, the deal with this guy, though, is he may expose himself over time, but you don't need to be the one throwing him right. under the bus. So... Best course of action, as with all of our passive-aggressive archetypes, is CYA. Make sure you're documenting. Make sure you're communicating. Make sure you're keeping copious records. Make sure you're running stuff by the other stakeholders. And do your best to manage up in a positive, professional way. I mean, there's just there's no way around it. It's because the outcome... Yeah. I mean, the outcome could be after all of this effort, you know, they might let you go. After all of this effort, maybe nothing changes and it's just still yet, you know, constant frustrations. But think about it as as a learning experience, right? Because if you can navigate difficult people, the easy people are wonderful. It makes them even even better and even nicer and even more appreciated. And every organization is going to have some difficult archetypes that even if your team and your boss are amazing, there's going to be other departments that might be super frustrating. And learning these skills and understanding how to navigate these personas is something that no one can take away from you. Absolutely. And the sad reality is sometimes you learn more by the unpleasant experiences than you do by the pleasant ones. But boy, oh boy, does it make you appreciate the good boss, the good corporate culture, right. et cetera. Oh, so we've got one more podcast on bad bosses, and then we're going to segue into a very specific type of bad boss and bad colleague, coworker, customer, which we'll cover in a separate podcast. But to our listeners out there, we sincerely hope that we've given you some actionable tips and tricks for both mentally managing the bad boss and tactically managing the bad boss. And do know that you're not alone. Andrea and I have both been there and we've survived and you can too. So on that note, thank you for listening to Riveting Exchanges. We hope you'll join us next month for our final discussion of bad bosses. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.